Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, today I want to continue a preaching series that I began in June, early June, start of winter, that I simply entitled... Word up. All right, my encouragement to you over the winter season is to word up. My hope is that all of us can uh, increase, upskill our ability to handle God's word, to hear his voice through his scripture, and uh, to build our life on the solid foundation that that truth reveals. When we started in June, I did two weeks on simply how to read the Bible. It's a good place to start, isn't it? How to read the Bible. We looked at five points, A, E, I, O, and U. You can look up the YouTubes or iTunes on that and listen to, the event, uh, listen to that again. Today, I want to um, basically share something that some of you, many of you have heard me share before, but it's always worth repeating truth because truth is timeless. And truth is good any day of the week. And it's always good repeating fundamental things because we always have new folk joining us as a church family, new folk listening or tuning in on recordings. And so today, having, having spoken about how to read the Bible, I now want to move into how to handle the Bible. How to handle the Bible's well an important message, I hope still an encouraging message, I hope something as always that ministers today to your head, your heart and your hands, as always. I hope you learn something today, I hope something speaks to your heart today, you have a desire to draw nearer to God because of the truth today and I also hope today to leave something in your hands, some practical tools to help you to word up. So today we're going to look at how to handle God's word. You ready? Did you find the book of Timothy? Did I ask you to do that already? Okay, let's do it. Let's turn to the book of Timothy if you brought your Bible today. Uh, and we will look at our couple of foundation texts and then do a little bit of a study. We'll spend most of our time today in 2 Timothy and get our gear from there. All right. Here we go. Let's start. 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 8. Simple verse. We know... That the law is good if, everyone say if, if, if one uses it properly. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. Exactly what Paul means by the law, you can talk about that over lunch. He could mean the Torah or he could mean the Ten Commandments. He could mean the Torah, the whole books of Moses. He could mean the Tanakh. Uh, Tanakh's just a, a word I say to impress you. Tanakh is basically the Hebrew word for the Old Testament. Okay, so we call it the Old Testament. Uh, another phrase could be the Hebrew Bible. Okay, in the Hebrew, the word's Tanakh. The whole Genesis to Malachi is the Tanakh. So he could be meaning that whole thing. The point is this the Bible is good if you use it properly. If you use it properly. That same word for use it properly he'll use in his next letter to Timothy when he says that an athlete must compete according to the rules. There's a right way to play sport. There's a wrong way to play sport. 
And in the same way, there's a right way to handle the Bible and there's a wrong way to handle the Bible. There's a proper way and an improper way. And he says, mate, the Bible's good, but you need to use it properly. And everyone said... He repeats this same concept, because what I'm going to do is set a concept and then look at some practical points. He repeats this concept in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. Congratulations, John and Ali and all our English friends as well. Been a good sporting month, hasn't it? Sorry, you can't say 2 Timothy 2 and not think of cricket, can you? 2 Timothy 2. All right, 2 Timothy 2. And verse 15, oh dear, do your best, I'm trying, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. A worker or a workman, work person, who doesn't need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. Same thing, there is a proper way and an improper way to handle the Bible. There is a correct way and there's an incorrect way to handle the Scriptures. And part of my job as a preacher-teacher, apparently, according to Ephesians 4, is not just to teach the Scripture, but is to do what Paul's saying to do and to teach people to teach themselves. So what I want to do today is talk to you about how you, Timothy, can handle the Word of God properly. About how you, Timothy, can handle the Word of God correctly as a good workman that has this incredible thing in your hands but it only remains good if you use it properly you see the word of god is a good thing but it's also a powerful thing and powerful things need to be handled with care jeremiah says this about god's word in jeremiah 23 29 he says is not my word like Fire, declares the Lord, and not only is it like a fire, but it's like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. A hammer can be constructive or destructive. That's right, it's a bang bang. It's one thing to hit the nail on the head, another thing to hit yourself on the head. All right, you need to handle a hammer properly. It's one thing to handle fire well, you can cook your food destroy things you don't need, drive incredible machinery. Humans have survived thanks to using fire well. But that same fire can also do incredible damage if you don't handle it properly. Yeah. And some of you here today have burns on your body that are going to be there for the rest of your life because there was a mishandling of fire at some point in your life. Well, the Word of God's the same. The Word of God can help people, but it can also harm people. The Word of God can heal people, yet it can also hurt people if it's not used properly. And all things, and it doesn't mean the Word of God's not good, it's good, but it's powerful. Okay, Many things in life, I've said this often, sex is powerful. And it's a good thing. It needs to be handled well. Many of us carry scars because we, we or someone else in our world did not handle sexuality well. Handling it well, an incredible blessing in our life. Mishandling it, whether it's for you or someone else, can cause great damage. That doesn't mean sex is bad. It means sex is good, but it's a powerful thing, and powerful things need to be handled with care. The Scriptures are the same, and Paul wants Timothy to know this. And if we're going to build a life or build something, because Paul says here to Timothy, you're a workman, 
Okay, so literally it's the same word used of builders in the Gospels, okay? You're a workman. The Bible comes to us with some construction required, some assembly required, okay? To build a theology in our life that is helpful, we need to handle it well. God's a builder and you're a builder and as a good workman, part of that is handling the Scripture as well. That's the concept. You get that? I love the fact God's a builder and as we know, it's one of His first revelations that he gives us in the scriptures in the beginning god created okay he formed something he fashioned something and then he filled something and that's the story that we see in genesis it's certainly something that i really have admired in my last couple of weeks of holiday time we our first part of our holiday we went to long awaited trip something that jane and i've had in our hearts for a long long time we went to italy uh, which was just incredible uh, had a couple of friends that came with us, which was thoroughly enjoyable. And one of the things that I loved about Italy that's so unique that we don't have here in Australia is just the age-old buildings and constructions that an ancient and old civilization had. We went to Florence and walked into a room where a single slab of marble turned into, over two and a half years, a five-metre-high carving of King David. You know what I'm talking about? Michelangelo's David. A 26-year-old man, Michelangelo, carved that incredible statue out of one piece. No room for error there. You make a mistake, you start again, okay? One piece of marble over two and a half to three years, locked himself away. It was just incredible. Something happened. I got walked in there, looked, I got tingly in my body. My eyes started to get watery. It was dusty. Yeah, someone, someone left a cat in there, obviously, without me knowing. But it was really quite remarkable. In, in Venice, they've got a whole, whole city built on mud. And there are still buildings there, they're standing, thinking really, but still standing, on thousand-year-old pieces of timber that have just been... That's incredible what man can build that's a thousand years old. In Rome, there's the Colosseum, there's the, something called the Pantheon, which is a 2,000-year-old building that looks, you know, pretty darn good. I mean, it's incredible. 2,000 years old. You go, some of the Caesars that I've read about in the Bible walked into this building. It was just incredible. A couple of weeks later, I'm in Sydney, and it's the NRL final of the State of Origin, wasn't it, Dan? I thought, I thought you were a blues man. Oh, was it? It was ANZ Stadium, wasn't it? ANZ Stadium, Olympic Park. Aren't you a blues fan? No? Oh, dang. Yes, that was awesome. The point is this. 82,500 people gathered in one building. That's the whole population of Victor Harbour times by five. Okay, in one building. It's amazing what people can build. I was in the building next door at Hillsong Conference with the kids. 21 or 22,000 people worshipping God in a building because a couple called Brian and Bobby Houston for 34 years have built something that is really, really significant. It's amazing what people can build. Charlie and I went to Canberra. We did a road trip and we went, uh, took Charlie to the snow fields and we saw machines that make snow. It's amazing. 
Either that or God made it snow just underneath the chairlifts every day because you go there and there's snow nowhere else, just there. No, no, there's machines that make snow. And then we went to the uh, National War Memorial and heard the history of machines that were designed to kill people. Some machines created just so people can have fun. Some machines created just to bring death and destruction. It's amazing what man can construct and build when he gives his attention to something. And I think those things kind of have, uh, I'm in awe of things that are built because I'm not a builder at all. (laughs) I'm not very much of a handyman. We've had a few building projects here as a church and I'm the guy, I, I don't have power tools in my hand, I've got coffee orders and clipboards, okay? That's, that's, what I, that's what I'm occupied with, that's about all I can do. So I'm pretty well in awe when people uh, build things. But what I can do, and our house is, our marriage is testament to this, I can do IKEA furniture. There's something about flat pack furniture that I can build and one of the reasons for that is simple. With IKEA furniture, it's like growing up playing Lego as a kid. As, if all the ingredients are there the tools and all the pieces and their step-by-step instructions, I can do that. I can, it's like cooking. I can cook if all the ingredients are in front of me and all the instructions are in front of me. But if you leave me to my intuition or you leave me to my imagination, I can open a full pantry and go, I can't see anything. There's nothing here. But if someone just says, this is it, I can do that. And so that's what I'm, I want to do when it comes to handling the Word of God. I want to say there's actually some tools in your hand. There's actually some core ingredients that you've been given to correctly handle the Word of God well that you can build a good theology on. And I want to just talk about three toolboxes that you've been given. My dad, I'm the son of a tradesman, and my dad would go out tradesmaning, carpet laying, (laughs) and he'd have different toolboxes that he'd take with him. I want to encourage you today, you've got three toolboxes Okay, Tim, the tall man, Timothy here. Three toolboxes to use as a workman that can correctly handle the scriptures. And I want to take a look at those. Number one is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So if you're still there, let's read together. 2 Timothy 2. Now, you know the problem today, that screen at the back not working, is I don't have a clock. And I've got one of these, but I can't read them. So... Two. 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy, what did I say? 2 Timothy 2 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those things to reliable people who also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather he tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Verse 7. Reflect on what I'm saying. Because if you reflect on what I'm saying, the Lord will give you insight into what I've just said. I've just said something. Now reflect on it. Because if you reflect on it, the Lord will give you insight. 
The word there for insight is the same word that Luke uses when he talks about Jesus rising from the dead and walking with two people on the Emmaus Road. And he's chatting away with them and he opens up the scripture to them. Okay? He talks about how the Messiah had to suffer and die and shows them all the way through the Bible how this was prophesied and predicted. And what he was sharing to those two people was not new information for them. They were Jews. They knew the Bible. They knew all the stuff. But then they sat down at a meal with him. And it says, when they sat down with him, their eyes were opened and they understood. Everything fell into place. It's that same word. Okay? They suddenly had insight. What those disciples needed was not just information. They needed an encounter with the person of Jesus right there at the table to make everything fall into place. It was the person of Jesus. It was being in the presence of the resurrected Jesus that suddenly made all the theory make sense to them. Come on. It was the person of Jesus. It was a supernatural encounter. Saul the Pharisee, Paul the Apostle, okay? He knew the Bible back to front. He knew the promises in the Bible that said that the, that the message of Messiah would be for all nations. But it, he knew the indicators of what Messiah would look like. But it wasn't until he had an encounter with Jesus himself on a Damascus road that boom, suddenly the whole Bible made sense to him. Peter heard Jesus say, go into all the world as witnesses to all people. Peter saw Jesus minister to a Samaritan. He saw people minister to non-Jewish people. Yet Peter would not go and speak to people outside his own race until he had a trance. Trance, okay? Until he had a vision from heaven and saw a sheet lying down. And then suddenly he was like, duh, that's what the Bible says. You can have the information, but without... But how do we rightly handle the word of God because Paul had the Bible and he persecuted Christians it wasn't until he met Jesus that the same Bible he now used to promote Jesus this didn't change but his understanding of it did because he had encountered the reality of Jesus the first toolbox in a very crude term that we have to handle the Bible properly is God himself the spirit God gives us himself. Jesus says as much, John 14, 15, 16. He says, the Holy Spirit, after I die, I go to heaven. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you into all truth. The things you've heard me say, you 12, you've heard me say things, but the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of the things I've said. In fact, Jesus even said at one point, there's certain things that I will not tell you, but the Spirit will tell you after I'm gone. Isn't that amazing? Jesus withheld certain truth from his followers because he knew they're not ready for it yet. And the Holy Spirit, he'll speak certain things to them when they're ready, but they're not ready yet, so I'm going to withhold certain things because they can't handle it yet. When the Spirit comes, he will reveal certain things to you. Some of us might have grown up in a church culture that talks about the Bible as being our manual, a good manual for life. It's a very limited illustration, and I don't like it in many respects, but I'm happy to accept it on this one condition. The Bible is our manual for life, as long as you accept that with the manual, God has also given us a personal tutor. He has not just left us on earth and given us a book. 
There you go, fellas, work it out. All right? He's given us himself. He's given us his personal, powerful presence to come alongside of us, to help us, to tutor us, and to teach us. In fact, the whole reason for the book is that we would know him. God is not Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a person. Abraham walked with God and didn't have a Bible. Enoch walked with God and didn't have a Bible. This Bible is to help us to know Him because it's not knowing the Bible that guarantees eternal life. It is knowing Jesus. Now we know Jesus through the Bible. The Bible helps us to know Him. But our goal is not to get to the other end of our life having known doctrine. Lord, Lord, did we not say in your name, we knew the scriptures to quote. Hang on, you did not know me. Jesus didn't say you did not know the Bible. You did not know me. The whole purpose for this book is to help us to know him. Okay? And so to help us to understand the book, God gives us himself. He gives us the spirit. And so what does Paul say here to Timothy? He says, mate, Timothy is reading this letter from Paul. Imagine yourself in his shoes. He's sitting down, he's reading a letter. Where were we again? Chapter 2. And he's reading, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ. And then he says, reflect on this so the Lord will give you insight. So what do you do? You're at home. You're sitting down. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ. Reflect on that. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ. Be strong. God's grace makes me strong. I have his grace. I, that, that means I am strong. I'm strong today. Holy Spirit, might, yeah, I'm strong. Okay. Awesome. Where's that grace to be? In Jesus. Gee, I, I thank you that I'm in Jesus today. Holy Spirit, I am in Jesus today. And I'm strong to, And I'm your son. Wow. I'm a strong son today because I'm in Jesus. And I have your grace. And I remember something. Oh, you just reminded me of that verse that says, Your grace is sufficient for me. In all situations, your power is made perfect. Did I need to hear that today? Maybe I... No, someone else needs to hear that today. Okay. Awesome. Verse 2. Verse 3. Verse 4. What does it mean to be a soldier? What does it mean to be a farmer? What does it mean to be an athlete? I don't just read it. I then stop and reflect on it. Why? Because if you reflect what I'm saying, then the Lord himself will speak to you. How do we correctly handle the scriptures? God has given us the first toolbox is the spirit. Okay? He's given us himself. We are to read, we are to reflect, and then we are to respond. Read, reflect, and respond. And that is part of the reason, and I shared in my first two weeks, that we need to be intentional in the way that we read the Bible. And part of that intentionality 
is providing opportunity to reflect and say, Holy Spirit, anything you want to tell me about this? Any updates? Any downloads? No? Okay, I'll move on. Or yes, okay, I'll stop in that. Reflect. Read, reflect, and then respond. Anyone said, Holy Spirit's your teacher and your anoint- the anointing that you have leads you into all truth. Next chapter, 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. You still with me? 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. You know, however, sorry, you, however, know all about my teaching. Timothy, you know all about my way of life. You know about my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings, and the kind of things that happened to me all over the place. Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions that I endured. Timothy, you know about me, don't you, mate? You know about me. Verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learnt it. Timothy, you've learnt stuff, mate. And I want you to continue in what you've learnt, because you learned it from other people. You know the people that you've learnt it from. Next verse. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. How did Timothy know the Scriptures from infancy? Who taught him? His mum and his grandma, apparently. His mum and his grandma taught him the Scriptures As a kid, Paul is saying, mate, you've heard it from me and you've heard it from your mum and your grandma. Remember the things that other people have told you. Remember the truths that other people have demonstrated to you and that other people have exposed to you in the scripture. Continue in the things that others have taught you. Why? Because God has not just given you the spirit to handle the word of God well. God has given you the saints. He's given you other people in your life. It is important to study the Bible for yourself. But it's not enough that we study the Bible by ourselves. It's important to study the Scriptures for yourself, but it's not enough that we study the Scriptures by ourselves because the Bible is a community book. It holds multi-dimensional truth. And it takes a multi-dimensional community to understand, to apprehend and to apply the truth that is in there. Because you will see things in the Bible that I never will. And I will see things and truth in the Scriptures that you never will because God has made us different and that's the way He's planned it. I don't care who your favourite preacher is or who your favourite Bible teacher is or who your favourite Christian author is. There's not one person on the planet that knows everything. Okay? God has made it that way. God has made it so that we rely on community. God has put His Spirit, dispersed His Spirit into the saints and it is with their help that we come to a fuller knowledge of the Scripture. Come on. 
You want to start a cult? I think I say this quite a lot, don't I? I should do a sermon one day about how to start a cult. Here's one way of how to start a cult. Have one person that knows all the truth. Give one person the microphone. Give one person a voice. And let all revelation come just through the one. Okay? If you can do that successfully, you're well onto your way of starting a cult. Okay? I advise you don't do it, but just in case it occurred to you one day. There is not one person who has a monopoly on truth. God has given his spirit to the saints and we are to rely on one another. Okay, We're to rely on other people. So listen, how do you do this practically? Well, you fill your life with people. Okay, You make sure your hands are connected in community. You are humble enough like Timothy to listen to others. There's this great story in Acts 18, a guy called Apollos, and he travels to Ephesus where... Timothy is, this is where, Tim, where Timothy's based at the moment, and Apollos started the church there, apparently, I think, and he was a powerful preacher, it said, and he was thoroughly versed in the scripture, thoroughly versed, charismatic speaker, and Priscilla and Aquila were sitting there one day, and they were listening to him, and they were like, he's awesome, but he doesn't quite see this right, and they had him over for a cup of tea, And they explained, it says in Acts 18, the word of God to him more adequately. And this powerful preacher, who was thoroughly equipped in the Bible, said, cheers. I'm willing to learn from others. I'm willing to learn from a business couple. Not professional preachers. They were tent makers, refugees from Rome. They got kicked out of their country. And he's like, yeah, I'm willing to learn from you. Because the Spirit of God that is in you reveals things that He's just not going to reveal to me. And we need one another to appreciate the full dimension of God's truth. Okay? Read the Bible for yourself, but don't read it by yourself. Get involved in a grow group. Be part of good, good, healthy Facebook online communities, you know, if there is such a thing. Um, Fill your bookshelves. Fill your audio devices. Listen to other people's input. Listen to people living and dead. Listen to male and female. Listen to Western and Eastern. Listen to reputable and occasionally controversial speakers. Because they will see something or throw ideas into your mind that you may not otherwise have seen on your own. And God has made it that way. God has given you the Spirit, but He's also given you the saints that we may come to a fuller appreciation of his truth. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Last thing, Craig, where am I going with this? It's three S's, mate. You know where I'm going. Uh, 2, 2, 2 Timothy 3, and chapter, uh, verse 16. Let's finish this off. 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that God's servant may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so in the presence of God and of Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and his view of his appearing and kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. And slow down occasionally. Be prepared. (laughs) One of the cool things about going to Hillsong is just, Hillsong Conference is to see the variety of speakers and the variety of preachers. And it's funny, you know, on one, they've got, they had some real preaching preachers and black guys from America who, you know, just the typical black preaching, oh, you just wanted to wave a hanky and say hallelujah. It was awesome, right? 
And, and then you've got, uh, you've got uh, Joseph Prince, who speech, speaks this language called Singlish, okay? It's Singaporean English. And, uh, like this, and he, he was awesome and he's teaching and he brings his message. And uh, he's a real preacher. And then you've got Louis Giglio uh, this year who started the Passion Movement. And he uses big props all the time. He uses examples and props. He's got out a, a breakfast table there while he's eating. And then you've got this guy from America called Bill Johnson. Laid back, Californian, says something and pauses. And it was really funny because there was a whole group of people there that did not know what to do with his pausing. And they thought they were in trouble. They thought he wants a response. And so they'd clap. And it would fade. And he'd just stand there. And then they'd clap again. And honestly, this went on about five times. And he's just like, I'm like, these people just are awkward with silence. They just didn't know what to do. It's just a different style of preaching. Okay, people? Shush. Just think. He just wants you to think. Anyway, what was I saying? Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season to both correct, rebuke and encourage with patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people would not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their own itching ears want to hear. It's okay to have preferences when it comes to biblical truth. Okay? Because your preferences make you who you are. Okay, you're all different, right? Look at, look at the person next to you, for goodness sake. That's not what you look like. They're way better looking. So if you... We, there are, we all have our own peculiarities and preferences when it comes to biblical truth. There's certain subjects that you enjoy, certain scriptures that you like, others that you just read quickly over, certain books that you've probably never read, certain books that are really highlighted, certain genres of literature you prefer, and that's okay because your personal preferences make you who you are as an individual. But there's a difference between, but there is a time when preferences can become problematic when our preferences produce a prejudice. And our preferences for things we like means we're prejudiced against stuff we don't like. I can handle teaching on the, the, the grace and the gospel, but I, I don't really understand eschatology much. And so I'm going to read over all those verses. <laughs> I'll ignore those. I, I, I have prejudice against it. Well, a balanced diet says we enjoy the whole table. Okay, It's okay to have preferences, but don't just pursue things that you prefer. Okay, Be willing to sit at a meal and enjoy something that's maybe not quite be your taste, but it's still good for you. Okay, Be willing to try some foreign food at times, something with a bit of spice that goes, okay, I wouldn't have chosen this, but I'll read it anyway, Lord, because I know it's you. Okay. Anyway, whatever. People will not put up with a balanced diet, but instead to suit their own desires, they will only gather around themselves teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. Verse 5. But you, keep your head. There's a bumper sticker. <laughs> Just keep your head. Keep a lid on. Calm down. Think about it. Keep your head. Don't kiss your brain goodbye. Be reasonable. Keep your head in all situations. 
endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, discharging all the duties of your ministry. The Bible is a spiritual book. And so we need the Spirit to adequately handle it properly. And everyone said, the Bible is a community book. And so God gives us our second toolbox, which is the saints. He puts us in community. Because as a community book, we can only handle it well. In the, well, it, got, it takes a community to understand the Bible properly. But thirdly, the Bible is an intelligent book. And so you need to read it with your brain. You need to keep your head. And as you keep your head, as we are reasonable as we read the Bible, we read it according to the science of hermeneutics, the science of interpretation. God gives us the, science, uh, the Spirit where we read, we reflect, Spirit speaks, and now we respond. God gives us the saints where we read, we research, and then we can respond. What do other people say? But God also gives us principles of interpreting the Bible well, where we read and we reason, we think about it. We make sure we're reading the Bible intelligently, according to the rules of literature, before we respond or get into weird, strange myths, like Paul is saying to Timothy. Don't turn your ear aside to weird, peculiar myths. Okay, Keep your head. Keep your head. Know what you're reading, because the Bible is also an intelligent book. Supernatural and mysterious. But also, for the most part, Pretty common sense, pretty practical, and pretty reasonable. So be prepared to keep your head. I know what the Bible says, but what does it mean? And this is a whole other thing that I'm not going to go into today. I'm just going to th share three things about the golden rules of hermeneutics. Three simple things. I'm just going to leave, say them and leave them. The three golden rules of real estate. What? Location, location, location. The three golden rules of hermeneutics. Context, context, context. As we read the scripture, we need to appreciate the context of the language. Is this literal language or is this figurative language? Is this typological or is this very practical? We take the context of language into consideration. As we read the scripture, we take the context of the original setting. Oh, there's hornets in the book of Revelation. That's talking about helicopters. Well, no, hang on. It's written to a first century audience. There's a historical... Con it can't mean to you what it doesn't mean to them. It has a meaning and it means what it's always meant. The question is, what did John mean when he said that? Not what do you mean? There's an original context, a historical setting that needs to be considered. And thirdly, the context of the whole Bible, the context of the whole Scripture. You know the best interpreter of the Bible? The Bible. How many people, you, you want to start a cult? Have I ever brought this up before? Giving you advice on how to start. Here's, a really, here's another tip, okay? You ever want to start a cult? Pick one verse. Pick half a verse and build your whole ethos of your life and ministry around that half a verse. 
All right? Just pick a snippet and convince all your people that that is the whole thing. That part is the whole. Because if you can do that, you can make people believe anything. Did you know God is a bird? I can show you a verse that says he has wings. Now that means God's a bird. Come join my cult. It's awesome. Listen, we understand, we read the Bible intelligently. We understand there's a context of the whole Bible. And every piece is not, it finds its place in the whole. And this is why big picture perspective is really important. The context of language, the context of original setting, the context of the whole picture of the Bible. Just some things, just a few tools to keep in mind as we intelligently handle the scripture. So Timothy, don't lose your head. Don't get carried away by all kind of weird and strange teachings. Now, Bible teaching can be unusual. You just read Ezekiel. Wheels within wheels, visions of heaven. You know what? All that, completely real. But a little weird. It's strange, but definitely real. That's different to reading the Bible intelligently and knowing this is how we're supposed to understand it. God has given us a brain. We are to read it according to science, according to good reason, before we respond. God has given us the saints. And we are to read the scripture in the context of community, listening to other voices, certainly before we come to significant conclusions. And God has given us the spirit. He's given us himself. And I'd like to finish there. Because my job ultimately, as I said, is not, that you would know the Bible better but that you would know him better I hope you've enjoyed today's message remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au and of course if you're ever in the area please pop in and say good day. bye